welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm Dave Niven, and this is the Social World Podcast, Thoughts on the Social World, and uh, I'm very pleased to have your company again today. Now, today I'm going to be talking with Alice Newton, and Alice is the Suicide Prevention Training Coordinator for Papyrus, which is a national charity dedicated to supporting young people who are contemplating suicide, and also the, the charity raises awareness about the level of need in the community, which I do assure you is quite substantial. So welcome, Alice. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me. You're welcome. And maybe we could just start by outlining to to people what Papyrus is all about. Could you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Papyrus, yeah, as you said, is the national charity dedicated to the prevention of young suicide. Um, It began in 1997 um, by a lady called Jean Kerr, who sadly lost her son to suicide. And um, a group of parents um, who'd all lost a child to suicide got together in in Jean's living room and said, you know what, you know, we actually need to do more about this. We need to have more support for friends, family, um, believing that they have a a unique perspective when it comes to, uh, to young suicide and and so we've we've grown from there, sort of a, a localised charity up in the northwest region to now, um, as you've mentioned, uh, being a, a national national charity, mm-hmm. providing a, a number of different services to the UK, which I can go into more detail um, later on. Yeah, I think I think we'll have. I'd like that because I think you know the the very fact that you're growing obviously shows that papyrus is having an influence but it also shows there's an awful lot of work to be done absolutely now i've got some statistics here and they are quite serious i mean i've got a statistic from papyrus that um in 2013 1600 young people under 35 killed themselves and of them 700 were under 25 yeah i mean that's quite a, a, a stark figure isn't it yeah, um, you know, I, th- I think what what you've just named there is is, in my opinion, a, a national scandal. Really, that we're losing that number of young people to suicide, um, which actually makes it the leading cause of death in under thirty five in the UK, which which is just shocking. Mm. Do you, I mean you? I know you personally specialise in training, but you also sort of. Um, supervise the the helpline that you have and therefore you get sort of very personal contact with the range of issues that come up that cause young people to actually feel this way i mean i i was looking at your site and 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 i think people listening will realize that the obvious ones you know bullying and relationships and money worries and family expectations body image and all that i mean plus and we'll talk about more as we go but I mean, it's such a wide range of stresses on young people, isn't it? I mean, you you must have a great deal of difficulty in helping them focus. Yeah, I mean, just to just to put that helpline into context, um, for, for those who don't know about our helpline, um, we run a, a national helpline known as Hopeline UK that um, is manned by mental health uh, professionals, so suicide prevention advisors who provide advice and information and support to either anyone under the age of 35 who is thinking about suicide, but also anyone concerned about them, um, be that professional, um, a friend, a colleague, a family member, etc. Um, and, and you're right, the, the young people that do come into contact with the helpline who are having thoughts of suicide themselves, 
um, will have those for a huge variety of reasons. Um, and it's not usually down to kind of one single contributing factor. It can be it can be a lot of things that have either built up over time or just something that is that is really significant to them that maybe for others on the outside they they may not realize perhaps the impact it's having having on that person um you know for example changing changing a course at college or uh, or or losing a, a pet animal um you know things like that that might appear on the outside as as not really that big a deal but to that individual they've lost mm. something uh, mm. through that that event and and therefore it's, it's very difficult for them to to cope with absolutely i mean and, and i totally understand that it's, it's rarely going to be one phone call that will change somebody's state of mind but um mm-hmm. but, but it must be very difficult to be able to judge and measure and gauge what impact that papyrus is having sometimes. I mean, I, I'm fully aware that, that papyrus claims that there's a lack of accurate national statistics relating to young suicide. Um, and this is obviously something that's worried you for a while. I mean, any, any kind of activity on that front that's improving things that you're aware of? Um, it, it is a difficulty because we, we know that, you know, for example, um, in England and Wales, any suicides that occur under the age of 10 are, are simply just not not defined as as a suicide and then we're also battling as well um with um the issue of um uh the standard of proof by which um what by which is used by coroners when determining whether or not somebody has died do you want to say a little bit about that because i, I read that in in your literature and i was quite um quite intrigued by it do you want to say just a little yeah. bit about what you'd prefer to have well, basically, um, you know, as many of you will know, suicide is no longer a crime. Well, actually, it's something that maybe a lot of people don't know um, because we're using, we're still using language such as um, committing suicide, which kind of dates back to when it used to be a criminal offence. Mm. Now, suicide was decriminalised back in 1961. However, coroners are still using the criminal standard, uh, criminal court proceedings. Um, when defining whether or not somebody died by suicide. So if uh, if somebody died by criminal offence, they will go through the criminal court proceedings, which basically means the coroner has to decide um, or determine rather that the, the person died of that offence um, and, and has to prove beyond all reasonable doubt, basically, that they died uh, by that offence. A standard court proceeding um, basically revolves around uh, probability. So, what is the likelihood that this person died um, by by that way? With suicide, despite it being decriminalised, we're still using criminal courts, um, and therefore, what a lot of people who have died by suicide um, are going down at down as are things such as uh, misadventure, accidental death, or perhaps a narrative or open verdict, which basically means. Um, the likelihood that this person died by suicide is, is quite high because we can't prove it 100%. We can't we can't say for sure. And so we're, we're missing a, a lot of people. Um, and, and one of the even more devastating things about trying to get this changed is that the feedback we've had from coroners as to one of the reasons as to why they don't want to change it is because they want to uh, save the family um, shame as to what's happened which we strongly believe only perpetuates the stigma even further. This um, is a complicated situation, isn't massively it? Massively so, yeah, very much so. 
um, you know, so it's something that we are campaigning to try and get changed because, as I said, it does does affect those statistics. But also things like, um, you know, it's very difficult for us to, us to measure, for example, how many people are actually attempting suicide um, because if you if you attend A&E and either you've attempted suicide or you've self-harmed by perhaps a way of coping with life, you're grouped into the same category of intentional self-harm. And therefore, we're not getting a full picture either there of, of how many people are contemplating or, or actively attempting suicide. So the categorization and the recording and the kind of headlines that are recorded under, as well as the way that information is collected, mm. are all areas where you feel that there should really be challenge and, 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 and much, much, much better accuracy. And I think there's a word that also goes right through your kind of literature, which is sensitivity. Mm. Um, I mean, interestingly, recently, that, that very recent um, Care Quality Commission report on mental health services yeah. that actually said that they were in crisis yeah. and um, suicide prevention services for young people are very much part of that but also they did say and you mentioned it there accident and emergency departments the actual care quality commission stated that only of about 30 percent of staff that worked in accident and emergency departments had the uh, adequate degree of sensitivity to deal with young suicide that's that's right. Um, you know, uh, doctors and nurses will say themselves that they need more training, um, and I believe that that training should should begin. You know, whilst whilst they are you know at university right at the beginning, um, you know, having an interest in in um, uh, becoming professionals in these fields and knowing that mental health will be a, a huge part of it. But despite that. Um, suicide prevention is, is rarely covered in the curriculum um, and despite having attended um, the uh, Royal College of, of Nurses um, conference a, a year ago or so it was it was highlighted as a huge need and um, and it was passed by over sort of 98 percent of, of nurses there um, what was passed was mm. the, uh, the suggestion that all nurses should have suicide prevention training and everyone's saying yes, yes, yes. But budgets and uh, uh, priorities, if you like, are, are perhaps uh, getting in, in the way of, of that becoming um, part of their, their learning where it is so necessary. I mean, there's so many gaps, aren't there? And we're not talking yeah. about a very, very rare condition or something like that, no. where the big argument is about, do we spend this kind of money and time on training on it? Because, you know, really in the scheme of things, it doesn't amount to very many numbers. But in this case, it really does amount to yeah. huge numbers yeah. and the possibility of prevention you know, exponentially increasing. I mean, that report from the Care Quality Commission also said, and I'm, I'm quoting now, that the lack of reliable and up-to-date information about children and adolescents' mental health, such as the, you know, the, the CAM service, mm. means that those planning and running CAM services have been operating in a, quote, fog. Mm. So, you know, I mean, the, the, the needs identified, the unfortunate thing is that, that that need has been running along like an open sore for years now. Uh, is that your experience? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we've been struggling for some time um, finding adequate resources and, you know, in, enough, whether that's people or services, 
um, in order to meet the need that that does appear to be increasing. But in spite of that, you know, funding is being cut and, and you know, people just can't understand why more resources aren't being given. Um, it's something like um, of, of the budget that goes towards children's services, children's mental health services in the UK, um, 0.8% is, is all that is given to, to children's mental health services, 0.8%, which is mm. just horrific. Okay. Now, one of the things you talked about there is not just literally resources, although this is obviously part of it, but your particular title, your job, in, includes the word training. Mm. And you do offer training to um, other agencies. That's part of the papyrus kind of um, offer, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, Who do you tend to work with and and what kind of form does the training take? Well, I'm I'm really glad you've asked that, actually, because with with the view that, um, you know, organisations and services are really struggling. um, I mean, Papyrus always has uh, communicated the view that suicide is and always will be everybody's business. and although I know that we've got an audience of, of a lot of professionals in this field, I, I would ask those listening to also take their hats off and consider, you know, what what, what might it be like actually to support somebody who is personally uh, um, close to us, you know, somebody in our informal relationships, because what we want to do is not only equip professionals, but also just equip the general public and and knowing that actually it's okay to have a conversation if we are concerned about somebody about their mental health about if they are having thoughts of suicide and so not only are we targeting if you like uh, you know professionals in the field we're also saying actually you know if you're a parent you need to be aware that this is something that could affect a, a loved one you know a, a child this could affect a, a relative, a cousin, or it could affect your neighbour or your colleague. It's it's something that affects or could affect any one of us. And therefore, we're trying to get the message across that, that our training is suitable, not for just professionals, but for anybody who wants to uh, to, to do further um further preventative work in the field mm. of, of suicide prevention. Okay, well, we, we, I mean... We'll give all the papyrus details before the end of the program. There's no problem about that, how people can get in touch and so forth. But um, practically, mm. I mean, how far and wide do you tend to be able to offer your training services at the moment? I mean, what, what kind of format, what practical... Say I was a member of the public, not necessarily a professional, we'll come to them in a minute wanting to to take up what you just talked about there which is like raising awareness about a family member i was concerned about or knowing how i could possibly um what the best way to offer them support is and so forth i mean how how would they go about um getting help from papyrus well um one of the first ways that they could get in touch with us would be uh, via the National Helpline. I would suggest that first. They can speak one-on-one with somebody directly if they're already concerned about somebody that they know. Um, but with regards to our training, um, depending on how much people want to get involved, we'll deliver suicide awareness sessions. So just to kind of increase people's understanding and awareness of actually what we're dealing with. So, you know, how many people are affected by suicide Um how might we be able to identify somebody who could be at risk of suicide? 
um, who might we be able to signpost them to, to uh, onto whether that's services or how might we able to help them specifically ourselves would be covered um, in a half day training which goes into things in a bit more detail um, and then uh, we also offer the the assist course as well, the applied suicide intervention skills training, which um, many of you may may be aware of, um, given that it is. Um, well, assume people don't. I think that's the best bet. <laughs> Let, let's just assume, <laughs> assume that a lot of people listening haven't managed to come across your work before. Well, applied suicide intervention skills training is a product that's delivered on an international scale. Um, it's a two-day course that will basically teach an, an evidence-based structure, an evidence-based model called the pathway to assisting life. And what all this will teach is um, having the skills and information needed to identify a person at risk, but confidently then approach them, explore suicide with them. And, um, and it takes you through and teaches you how to have a conversation with that person that results in basically keeping that person um, safe for now. So it's referred to suicide as it's referred to as suicide first aid, basically. So those kind of courses will deliver on a national scale. However, as we mentioned earlier, we are a growing organisation. So currently we are focusing on proactively engaging audiences in the northwest region of the UK and also the West Midlands area. Those are the two areas where we've got offices, but we're hoping to obviously expand mm. and eventually have branches across the whole of the UK so that we can be much more um, uh, accessible, if you like. Those training can be much more accessible by, by everybody across the UK. Okay, well, I mean, let's, let's, we'll only say it sort of once or twice this bit, but well, let's assume that if all of us listening to this um, realise too that you are a charity and you operate very much by having to raise money for the work that you do. Mm. So, um, you know, for people listening who've got access to any kind of funds whatsoever and think this is the right way to do it, then uh, we'll give details of the Papyrus Helpline at the end and also the website. Now, I got a bit confused one thing to do with um, a couple of things that Papyrus were standing for, and I'd like to explore that with you, Alice, if I could. Yeah, sure. Um, on one hand, you quite logically talked about, um, when, when talking about, say, the coroners or, or, or whatever, you know, and the way that they approach the whole issue of suicide, and that bit about so-called shame, you know, not wanting to, to, to bring shame on the family or any more sort of stigma to the family, and you disagreeing with that saying it's much much better if we open this whole subject out and it becomes part of a kind of family conversation and, and part of a kind of a social conversation rather than keeping it in the shadows as it were as some kind of um, terrible terrible thing to be avoided um, yet on the other hand you do as an organization feel strongly um, that sometimes the media our critics should be criticised for some of the way that they report and present suicides. Um, and, and in a way that seems a bit paradoxical to me. You know, on one hand wanting more openness and on the other hand hang, saying hang about because sometimes the media reporting of it might encourage other young people to kind of copycat or whatever. Do you see, yeah. what, do you see what I'm getting at? There's maybe yeah. a bit of a paradox here. Uh, how, how would you respond to that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, David, what we're trying to do is educate people on how to be more open about suicide, 
but how to do that in a safe and sensitive way so that we're not putting other people at further risk. Um, talking openly about suicide in a respectful manner will not um, will not put anybody at risk. What it will do is, you know, if if say we started, um, uh, say we were sitting on a train and we were having a conversation safely and sensitively about suicide, and a person at risk of suicide on the train overheard us, then what that could actually do is build confidence in that person that actually suicide perhaps isn't as much of a taboo subject as maybe they thought it would be and if they can see or overhear two people talking about it sensitively and um and uh, in a in a respectful manner then it may encourage them to speak to somebody else in the hope that they will also respond in the way that they have observed those two people doing so now what we're trying to work with the media to do um, is to adhere to the World Health Organization's media guidelines that do state how to report a suicide safely and sensitively, um, i.e. not to include excessive detail, for example, where did a person die, how did they die, photos and things like that, um, that right, um, sensationalise or romanticise, um, you know, so we strongly discourage people from reporting a suicide and putting it on the front page of a newspaper um, we don't want people focusing on um, you know oh this this uh, young person died by suicide and hundreds of people attended their funeral and wasn't that lovely because for a young person who may feel that they want to end their life because nobody cares about them may be more attracted to the idea of ending their life if they think well you know loads of people will then turn up to my funeral um, mm. so it will prove that maybe they do care about me. So there's certain ways in which, you know, we need to avoid talking about suicide that could put other people at risk. So we're trying to educate people about about to um, in order to do that. And that's what our media campaign um, is focusing on. I think, Bill, that would be good then to draw people's attention to that because, you know, you can obviously see on one hand, whether you agree with it or not, it's another matter. But, I mean, you can obviously see on one hand for example, when we had all that issue about the clusters of suicides in Wales and so forth, you know, yes. the, the, the kind of almost salacious reporting that occurred about that because it got people into quite a frenzy. But the media, you know, they, you, they couldn't avoid it because it was a big story. Oh, but, yeah. but, but on the other hand, you want, you want how they actually deal with it to be sensitive to the idea that there are young people on the brink listening. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think you know the situation that happened in Wales in in Bridgend, um, yeah, was was extremely, extremely devastating. They they lost seventy nine young people to the same method um, over a five year span between two thousand and seven and two thousand and twelve, um, and a lot of people did put that down to the media. There are a couple of theories kind of going around, and Papyrus worked with the media to try and make sure that they were reporting those sensitively. Um, you know, but in a town of a hundred thousand population, that that was it. Um, you you also have to kind of take into consideration that that word of mouth, you know, would also have have played a role in this. Um, and it wasn't until uh, there'd been about nineteen suicides that the media actually started reporting it. So there'd been that men many mm. already um, before they focused on it. What might be interesting, actually, is I don't know if it's within Papyrus's thoughts, but I mean. What I've done in the past in, in, in child, you know, broader child protection terms, 
is that I've actually been along and lectured to um, journalism students. Mm. Um, you know, um, uh, uh, just prior to them graduating, you know, to give a sense of what the child protection community is, does, you know, is interested in and why, and, and, and therefore give them background so that when they get to their newspapers and when they get to become fully-fledged journalists, they will have some degree of understanding. And I'm just, no, that sounds like something that might well be an idea for papyrus as well. And I think that's a, a really great suggestion, yeah. And I think that, that goes for a lot of professions, doesn't it? That, you know, we need to be getting to, to people who want to train in these professions where they will be talking about suicide so that they know exactly, you know, how to do that. <laughs> in the mm. way before they begin those those roles. I'd like to just draw, as a few, we've probably got about another five minutes, okay, and then we'll give out the details of Papyrus. But uh, there's, there's something I found really interesting was that just before the general election, Papyrus wrote to all the political parties in England with questions about their policies on young suicide. Mm -hmm. And um, my understanding from your literature is that the only person that responded was David Cameron. Mm, and that, that was just a general letter he sent back sort of saying, you know, we started a program in 2012 and that was about it. But none of the other parties whatsoever responded. And, and for such a significant um, campaign, you know, that did seem pretty strange to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, we, we were disappointed that um, we only had one party um, respond to our to our letters. Um, yeah, D David Cameron was was the only one that um, that responded responded mm. to that, um, which is disappointing. Anyway, well, maybe they'll um, um, maybe hope somebody will listen to this and have a bit of a wake up call because it seems pretty crucial that people start taking a taking a sort of a account of of the the it's crisis, if you like, in our country yeah. at the moment. Now, I know because, as you know, I'm, I, I chair the Thameside Safeguarding Children Board, and you came along to our annual conference and made a good presentation, and a hundred people went away better informed and better aware about young suicide and prevention. But you're also having your annual conference um, in about, what, three days' time now at... Uh, yes, Saturday. Saturday at Resource for London in Hol right. Holloway Road in London. That's correct. And um, I guess is that open to people to come if they, if they can? It is, absolutely, yeah. If you visit our website, which, um, as David said, we'll give the details oh, out. Okay, give, it, give it now as well. Go yeah, well, um, so our website is um, www papyrus-uk.org papyrus is spelt p-a-p-y-r-u-s and there's details of the conference on there exactly what that will entail um, any of the speakers that we're having and workshops that will be delivered um, and anybody that that conference is open to anybody who would like to attend and I believe places are still available for that this coming Saturday that's good and 01925 is your telephone number absolutely that's general the office inquiries yeah. yes and that's for all general inquiries about training or conferences or literature or, or just general information about papyrus now let's talk about your national confidential helpline which is called hopeline uk that's right yeah and uh i've got it here it's 0800 068 4141 that's yes. 0800 068 4141 um, 
you get quite a volume of traffic, don't you? Yeah, and um, and increasingly so as well. Um, there's been about sort of a five thousand in uh, five thousand um, new contacts in 2014 as as compared to 2013, and on average, that what we've seen in 2015 so far is that um, that that figure has also in, increased yet again. But there's a there's a few you know theories, if you like, again as to why that might be, because some people question, well, you know, does that mean that people are more in need of your service more people are more at risk of suicide but we as a growing charity you know we are consistently coming uh, into contact with audiences who haven't heard of papyrus before and so you could also put it down to just more awareness being raised of the helpline being there and one of the key services you do offer of course as well as the helpline is is the training function for all sorts of different agencies and as well as the general public that we talked about before and if if an agency or an organization wanted to um have papyrus come along uh, and and deliver training mm. um it would be that uh, 01925572444 number or your uh, website is that right that's correct yes um there's a training inquiry form on the website or you can email me directly on the training email which is training at papyrus-uk.org okay now one final thing then alice is that you may be aware that this podcast is listened to in a a, a number of countries around the world as well as the uk and um i am absolutely certain and i know from from previous conversations that there are initiatives such as you know um, papyrus is offering in different formats around the world as well i presume you would be quite willing and happy to have um, organizations and initiatives abroad contact papyrus and share information oh yes absolutely yeah yeah Okay, so just put that call out there for anybody listening uh, anywhere in the world that actually works on this kind of subject or has information or evidence that, that they think might be of help to papyrus to contact them. So, Alice, I think that's been terrific talking to you today and I really wish papyrus luck and I hope you continue to expand and I hope the work continues to diminish. Of course I do. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much indeed for talking to me today. Thank you. Well, great thanks to Alice for that interview. I hope you all um, can take note of the great work that Papyrus is doing and if it's anything that you can incorporate into what you do or who you talk to about um, this subject, please do so. Now, you can download this from iTunes or alternatively, you can just cut it from the website www.socialworldpodcast.com or thoughts on the social world will get you to it as well. But leave me these uh, voice messages if you can. It's just to the left of the um, page on the website. And just leave a voicemail, a voice message. And uh, tell me some of the thoughts you have about future editions and things that you have to do. And you can also now get this through Care Knowledge. Or um, you may be aware that I also have uh, a subscribers page on the Guardian social care network and um, they publicize the podcast as well so for all of you here in the uk and around the world thank you very much indeed for listening and i'll be back with you soon thank you <laughs>